Good evening and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton, editor in chief of the Independent New York City's progressive newspaper and website. I'm joined today by my co host, Abu Gagarian. Hi, John. It's great to be here with you and all of our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. We have another amazing show in store today. And also tomorrow, our, our October print edition will hit the streets of New York. In the new issue, we feature subway buskers, violence interrupters stopping violent crimes before they start, student loan debtors facing the end of the three-year moratorium on their loan repayments, and more. The issue also includes a four-page special section on the solidarity campaigns organized by New Yorkers 50 years ago in response to the U.S.-backed coup in Chile that overthrew the socialist government of Salvador Allende. You can find our new issue in the Independence Red and White outdoor news boxes in public libraries, independent bookstores, cafes, social movement centers, and other venues. Later in the show, we'll fill you in on how you can get a subscription to The Independent and have it delivered straight to your uh, mailbox every month. Uh, you can, and We'll talk more about that and how you can become a WBAI buddy at the same time. And then the first half of today's show, we're going to get all the latest from the epic struggle in Atlanta over the future of Cop City, the massive police training facility that local officials want to clear cut a forest to build. Matt, well, are clear cutting a forest to build. Matt Scott from the Atlanta Community Press Collective will catch us up on all of that and more. And in the second half of today's show, we'll talk with Jacobin columnist Branko Markatich about his recent article, on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the squad, their many unacknowledged successes, and what exactly left-wing elected officials can and cannot uh, be expected to achieve when they go to work inside the system. But before we talk about the fights to save the Bulani Forest from Cop City, John, you have a couple of environmental updates from Sunday. Yes, I, I, I uh, joined the big climate march on Sunday that wound its way through Midtown and made its way over to the United Nations. It really felt like the climate movement was back after having to retreat from the streets uh, during the pandemic over the last several years. The uh, organizers said there was as many as 75,000 people on hand. They were demanding that President Biden take dramatic actions to uh, end our reliance on fossil fuels. And as I was saying, it was the biggest climate action in the United States uh, since uh, the pandemic hit in 2020. So who all was there? Well, there was a large ind- indigenous delegation uh, at the uh, front of the march. Uh, there were also uh, uh, local uh, New York-based uh, people of color-led organizations, including New York Communities for Change, Make the Road New York, uh, Drum, or Desi's Rising Up and Moving, based out in Queens. Uh, they all had sizable contingents on hand. At the same time, it was still uh, a largely uh, white, uh, middle-class uh, demographic that turned out. Uh, but it was not entirely uh, monochromatic. And at the same time, uh, later in the day, I had had a chance to make my way down uh, to the Liz Christie Community Garden, kind of going to the micro scale here, uh, which is located on uh, Houston between uh, Bowery and 2nd Avenue. Uh, The Liz uh, Christie Garden uh, was New York City's very first uh, official community garden, started in 1973 and is still there today. Uh, it was uh, on Sunday. It was celebrating its 50th anniversary uh, when that garden was planted uh, by Liz Christie and other uh, 
local volunteers in the neighborhood. It really became a model that uh, was replicated all over the city. We now have a nearly 600 community gardens. And uh, I had a chance to talk with uh, Bill Brunson, uh, one of the co-founders of that garden, uh, who was on hand on Sunday. It, 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 he looked back on what they had accomplished. I think the city came around to that, um, seeing the value of what local motivated volunteers could do. And so it did it. Acted as an example. Um, the city came around, you know, organized what we now have on um, Green Thumb. Uh-huh. Uh, Parks Department is very on board. And now there are almost 600 of these volunteer-maintained community gardens in the Thai boroughs. Right. Um, so it's it's a real resource. Um, we think of green space as Central Park and mm-hmm. some of the other satellite gardens around uh, parks. But the Liz Christie Community Garden was kind of a let's plant the nooks and crannies, uh-huh. the small spaces. And that was uh, uh, Bill Brunson, one of the co-founders of the Liz Christie Garden. They're celebrating their 50th anniversary on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Liz Christie, who was really the dynamo uh, who helped uh, get that uh, garden going, uh, she tragically uh, uh, died of cancer in 1985, and, the, and that garden was subsequently named uh, for her. Um, and, and, and as I was saying, there's now almost 600 community gardens all over the city, many of them in neighborhoods uh, that were severely abandoned in the 1970s, including the Lower East Side, uh, Harlem, uh, Bedside, various neighborhoods uh, up in the South Bronx, where neighbors... Uh, basically did what people did at the Liz Christie Garden. They went in and, and uh, cleaned up abandoned lots and and turned them into into uh, really beautiful uh, green spaces right in the city that uh, still serve their communities to this day. And thinking of that, of course, makes me think of what's been going on in Atlanta the past uh, couple of years, Amba. Right, and let's get into it. Um uh, we have uh, updates from Atlanta, um, uh, the most sort of heavy one being that on, on August 29th, the Georgia State Attorney General Chris Carr filed RICO indictments against 61 people associated with the Stop Cop City movement. Stop Cop City or Defend the Atlanta Forest has galvanized the op- opposition over the last two years to the building of the nation's largest police training facility on the site of the nation's largest urban forest. Protesters are being prosecuted for activities such as using bail funds, self-publishing magazines, and distributing flyers about Tortuguita, the forest defender who was sitting in their tent with their hands up when they were shot fatally by Georgia State Police in January. Since December, 43 Stop Cop City protesters have been charged with domestic terrorism and, if convicted, face up to 35 years in prison. They were all included in the new indictment. In June, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security contradicted law enforcement officials in Georgia over their classification of activist groups as domestic terrorists. And on September 7th, just eight days after the RICO filing was announced, five cop city activists, including two ministers, bravely broke into the construction site of the planned facility and chained themselves to a bulldozer. They declared it to be a people's injunction 
action against the project going forward. Then on September 11th, the vote to stop Cop City Coalition in Atlanta submitted more than 116,000 signatures to put a referendum on the ballot for local voters to be able to choose whether or not the Mammoth Police Training Facility should be completed. But Atlanta officials refused to accept the signatures, claiming organizers had missed an August 21st deadline that had previously been extended by a federal judge. Yes, it's confusing. So the case is currently being reviewed by a federal appeals court. Um, and here to update us further on all of this from Atlanta is Matt Scott. Um, he's joining us virtually, but he's in Atlanta. Is Matt Scott, the editor of the Atlanta Community Collective, or ACPC, which is an independent media outlet that formed in 2020 during the onset of the struggle around the perspective training facility that has produced some really great in-depth research around Cop City. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, happy to be here. You have an update uh, about the referendum signatures uh, that you told us about earlier today. Just yesterday, the city council passed a resolution to have the office of the municipal clerk begin the process of digitizing all the re- referendum signatures. 116,000 significant is the resolution. So the resolution sort of unofficially begins the process of uh, validating the referendum signatures. Of course, the first step in that process would have been to digitize the signatures. Um, so it, it, it begins the process. Uh, the clerk will still have technically 50 days from whenever the process does actually begin or the validation officially begins uh, in order to finish that work. But it does take a very important first step and it uh, provides information to the public so they can actually see who uh, and how many people have uh, signed this petition to stop Cop City? Uh, and so, why did the council pass the the resolution? Uh, the city council passed the resolution. Uh, they say uh, to sort of address the lack of transparency that this project has been faced with since the beginning. Um, I would also add to that that 116,000 signatures represents about 30% of the Atlanta electorate. That's a higher turnout than has been uh, in any recent municipal election in the city of Atlanta. So if you're on the city council, which voted 11 to 4 uh, this year in, in favor of supporting $67 million in funding for Cop City, uh, you have to be paying attention to the number of people who have signed this petition and, and considering your chance for re-election in 2025. So I would imagine that's played a role in the unanimous vote to sort of uh, begin the digitizing process that the city council had yesterday. Right. And um, so we'll so, keep watching. As you said, uh, it, it it's not um, of huge significance yet. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I, I have a, a couple of questions, uh, Matt. Um, so, uh, first of all, just for uh, listeners who may not be entirely uh, up to speed on what's uh, been happening in Atlanta, can you just describe the Wolani Forest where this uh, huge police training complex would be built and sort of what's out at stake out there and why people have been fighting so hard uh, uh, for this cause? And then can't help but note that the the RICO charges them, uh, that were filed recently uh, are dated back to May 25th, 2020, the day uh, George Floyd was murdered by Minneapolis police officers. And in, in the previous bond hearings for the Stop City activists, 
uh, Deputy Georgia Deputy Attorney General John Fowler argue that the movement is directly connected to the George Floyd uprising. Uh, 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 this certainly uh, really uh, kind of captures the uh, backlash that has taken place uh, in, in various levels of government against uh, that uprising. And, and, and of course, we see the creation of the training center. But so if you can talk both about the their attempts to, you know, link this to the George Floyd uh, 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 protests and uprising and just also just fill us in on why that forest out there is so important to people. Sure. So we're talking largely about uh, about a 700 acre piece of forest, uh, contiguous forest in southwest Atlanta, just outside of the city proper. So it's an unincorporated cab, which means the residents around it don't have the ability to vote on what the city of Atlanta is doing with this property. Now, about half of that total uh, acreage belongs to the city of Atlanta. It purchased it uh, from the W.E.B. Key family in the early 20th century. The Key family uh, had a plantation there. And prior to that, the Muscogee people lived in these lands. So the history of this land uh, has largely been reflective of, of the atrocities that America has, has created uh, over the course of its existence. And then, of course, in the 20th century, when the city of Atlanta purchased this land, they turned it into an operating prison farm. Uh, throughout the course of its history as a prison farm, numerous civil rights allegations were made against it, uh, and, and it became a, a site of, of sort of understanding the ills of, of the prison system. Uh, so the prison farm stopped operating around 1995, and the area was left uh, to return to its natural state, return to, to being a forest. Uh, the city of Atlanta continued to use bits of this land and continues to this day to use bits of this land for a uh, gun range uh, just outside of several residential neighborhoods. Uh, but largely, the, the forest was left to sort of retake uh, most of this land. Uh, it by the uh, mid-2010s, it, it had been named one of the four lungs of Atlanta. So it's it's considerable importance in terms of Atlanta's uh, resiliency in the face of climate change. In 2017, this land was enshrined in the City of Atlanta Code as part of the South River uh, Forest Plan, where it was intended to be protected and preserved uh, throughout Atlanta's history in order to protect us against sort of these threats that that we face uh, with global climate. Uh, global climate change. Then, of course, the city changed its mind in, in 2021, uh, choosing instead of preserving this land to lease uh, acreage to the Atlanta Police Foundation for the construction of this facility. Uh, there's been outcry from the very beginning of the announcement of this project, and, and, and uh, activists have fought hard against it uh, in, in several different venues, uh, from electoral to physical occupation of the forest. It's become one of the main issues that's that Atlantans are, are facing today and representative of a lot of the larger struggles that we see nationally in terms of environmental justice, racial justice, and and policing abolition. Uh the so that all of those tie then together with the RICO charges, which you said uh date back to May 25th, 2020, the day that George Floyd was killed. What we've seen in this 109-page indictment is uh, the Attorney General's office sort of paint the story that the Defend the Atlanta Forest comes directly out of the George Floyd uprising, and he's connecting all of these things through the Atlanta Solidarity Fund, 
which bailed protesters out dating back to 2016, but largely came into the consciousness of Atlanta during the George Floyd uprising of 2020. And that's sort of the central through line that we see throughout the 109-page indictment from the Attorney General's office. Right. And I want to talk a little bit um, about the Atlanta Solidarity Fund uh, and how uh, actually uh, ACPC, uh, Atlanta Community Press Collective, you know, uh, wrote an, an article last week that they're being basically portrayed um, as the somewhat the heart of the, you know, quote unquote, conspiracy at this RICO case. Can you talk a little bit about that and just sort of what it means that a solidarity fund is uh, being considered that way and um, what truth there is, if any, to, to the allegations. Right. So the uh, Racketeering Influence and Corrupt Organization Act, uh, both federally and on a state level, were created uh, in order to take down the, the mob or the mafia. And they were it was created so that the actions of lower level mob employees can be tied to those of you know, the leaders of, of these organizations. And so what they are alleging in this indictment is that the Solidarity Fund is effectively the leader of this movement. Um, the three organizers behind the Solidarity Fund are, are effectively leaders in this movement. And any action taken by anyone that they allege to be part of this movement uh, is the responsibility of those uh, three organizers. So <clears throat> this is certainly an attack on on a uh, one of the key elements of a protest now in in the United States, which is the use of bail funds that dates back to the civil rights movement. Um, it, we wouldn't be in a lot of the spaces that we are if there weren't the creation of bail funds. You know, largely what we see during protests, and I'm sure you see the same thing in New York, is that police mass arrest people or, or indiscriminately arrest people in order to get them off the streets. Uh, and, and stop a protest in its tracks. And, you know, these individuals who, who face these arrests would be in, in jail for far longer were it not for the existence of these bail funds. So this represents an attack on, on the very structure of protest in, in America. Right. Um, so, uh, I'm bouncing around here a little bit, but before we sort of head into some other questions, I just want to talk about the state of the land right now. Um, how much forest has been cleared? Um, what's going on currently? So the Atlanta Police Foundation was given 85 acres of land that they are allowed to clear. Uh, so the, the land that they've been allowed to clear has been entirely cleared, uh, clear cut and has been graded. So most of the environmental damage has already been done at this point. And originally the, the movement was, you know, alternatively named Stop Cop City or Defend the Atlanta Forest. Unfortunately, the Defend the Atlanta Forest part of the movement has now changed, uh, given that the damage has been done. Uh, but construction continues. They are trying to speed up, uh, the, or, they're trying to carry out the construction process as quickly as possible ahead of any potential legal challenges to or injunctions uh, to argue that, you know, as much damage or as much construction has been done, it wouldn't make sense for them to stop construction to wait for something like uh, the referendum to be voted on. Right. And um, so there's going to be a, a another mass action uh, on or I don't I mean probably not on uh, the the forest I don't know maybe you can tell me there there have been a few will, the, will this be the the fourth the fifth the sixth I'm sorry I don't know off the top of my head 
Uh, so there have been six weeks of action, uh, prior to this. And, uh, so this November action, uh, is, is sort of looking to be like a mini week of action. Uh, organizers are asking, right. uh, supporters to come from, from a- across the country and, and internationally to Atlanta from November 10th through the 13th. So not a full on week event, but we, I anticipate seeing a lot of similar things that we we've seen during weeks of action past uh, at the end of those uh, four days, uh, there is supposed to be an action um, where everyone gathered or will gather and, and attempt to stop construction at the actual site itself. Right. Well, we'll be watching. Um, uh, there's uh, uh, much to expect and uh, much to participate in. There's also actions uh, here in New York City. There's one on Wednesday um, uh, uh, that's Stop Cop City related. It's around um, Governor Brian Kemp, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp being here. You can uh, find out about that on Instagram. I think at Save Willani. I'll come up with that at the end of this segment, if listeners want to keep listening. Um, but but speaking of that, the fact that there's an action here, uh, Matt, give our listeners an overview of the various forces that have come out in coalition against Cop City um, over you know time now, the past two years that the struggle has been going on uh, both in Atlanta and elsewhere. Yeah, so what we've seen is it, uh, a continually growing umbrella of organizations and and sort of sub movements that have all come out uh, against Cop City. Uh, at, at its core, of course, is an abolitionist movement. Uh, you know, a policing and and prison abolitionist movement that that believes that further militarization of the police or or you know further resources given to the police will only exacerbate uh, social conditions that are already uh, at risk here in in Georgia. Um, of course, there's the environmental movement, uh, wanting to preserve this, this green space. And then there's been a coalition now of electorally minded organizations who began the referendum process, uh, national support, uh, you know, as you said, protests in, in New York City. Of course, we've seen also protests in Chicago and in, in, in Portland and just about every other major city, uh, in, in support of the Stop Cop City movement. So, at, at, at its core, there's a lot here that, that reflects, like I said earlier, sort of the issues that, that we face today and, and a lot to be found, um, in, in supporting. So, uh, or, or in this fight. So we, we see a continuing number of people joining the movement, uh, as, as it progresses. Right. And, and I know there's a lot of sort of, uh, um, diversity. Uh, of groups that are supporting it within Atlanta too, you know, which is, is great and, and interesting. Um, uh, and so I want to ask about, uh, how a decentralized movement like this one, which it definitely is both, I think within Atlanta and then within the country stay internally organized, which I think is still internal organization is really sort of the key to success of any, you know, movement, maybe you beg to differ, but yeah, how does a decentralized movement stay internally organized and, you know, stay, um, making progress, making, changing, moving, moving, I don't know, succeeding, I don't know, you know, in motion. Yeah, I would argue it's sometimes this is not an organized movement, but, uh, at its core, the movement is, is, it has one, one goal and that is to stop the construction of cop city. And so, Whatever gets added onto that by other groups or, or groups that are newly joining as they, they still maintain that radical core of we will stop cop city. Uh, that's enabled 
disparate groups with disparate goals and intents to to come alongside the Stop Cop City movement or join in with the Stop Cop City movement uh, in in furtherance of that main goal, which is stopping the construction of this facility. Uh, there are a couple of social media accounts that stand at the core of this uh, that a lot of organizing is done through and, and you know, the Defend the Atlanta Forest website. But structurally, there is no single organization that is leading the charge here. It is a conglomeration of organizations that come and go as as pleasing as they please uh, in furtherance of, of the movement. Right. And there you go. Um, and uh, so I have the information uh, for the action on uh, tomorrow for people who are, are wanting to know about that or share the information. Uh, the Instagram is Wilani Defense underscore NYC. So that's W-E-E-L-A-U-N as in Nancy E-E Defense underscore NYC is the account you can follow for the New York City based actions to support Stop Cop City. Uh, and there is tomorrow night at 6 p.m. at the Plaza Hotel, mm-hmm. 768 Fifth Avenue in uh, response to Governor Brian Kemp being here in New York City. So um, um, how would you say uh, is activist morale, Matt, uh, across the board, you know, from the sort of um, more radical people that are involved to more liberal people that are involved? And then how do you think the movement has been affected by the fact that Tortuguita, the forest defender, you know, was killed back in January? So one of the things that I really get to enjoy reporting on and and experiencing and witnessing is the resiliency of this movement. Um, This movement has faced numerous setbacks from the original vote uh, in in favor of of, of leasing this land to the Atlanta Police Foundation, to the original uh, domestic terrorism charges, to the death of Tortuguita, uh, to the passing of of the $67 million in funding. So there have been all of these setbacks and, and sometimes very... Uh, strong ones like the death of Tortuguita, but they've always served as a, a point of resolve um, where instead of sort of stepping away from the movement, we've seen more people step up and say, okay, I see this fight and I, I, I believe in it. And I see those people who are still willing to stand up in the face of all of this. And, and I want to come on board with that. So every time that we've had something in the, in terms of state repression, like domestic terrorism charges, the death of Tortuguita, the arrest of the bail fund organizers in May or these RICO charges, it's drawn more people to the movement. And so morale continues to, to stay high in the face of a lot of adversity and a lot of challenges. Right. Well, that's what we need. So uh, in, in our last uh, minute or so, uh, Matt, uh, talk more about the Atlanta Community Press Collective, um, how important, you know, it is. I'm so happy to see, you know, this independent outlet coming out of this uh, movement out of Atlanta and some of the archival research you guys have been doing, particularly um, listeners, if they haven't read, should read A Brief History of the Old Atlanta Prison Farm. Um uh, which, you know, Matt uh, was sort of referencing some of that history at the beginning of the show. But yes, tell us about more about ACPC in, in our last minute. Yeah, so ACPC is an abolitionist, not for, not for profit, local independent newsroom here in Atlanta. We've been focused on accountability journalism and investigative journalism uh, in the face of a, of a local media market that is largely dominated by uh, one organ, one 
group, the Cox Media Group, owned by Cox Enterprises. Uh, the president of Cox Enterprises is the chief fundraiser for the Cop City Project. So when ACPC launched, there was a, a dearth of, of coverage and investigative journalism into Cop City uh, because of the, the media situation and, and the lack of interest in our paper of record, which is owned by Cox Media Group, in, in really addressing uh, this facility. So local journalism has been our, our, our driving force, and we are happy to remain uh, at the forefront of it here in Atlanta. Great. And how can people uh, keep up with you all? Where can they find you? Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Advanta, or the X platform, I should say, at Atlanta underscore press. Instagram is at ATL Press Collective. Uh, and if uh, you're interested, you can donate to us at opencollective.com slash ACPC. Great. Well, Matt Scott from the Atlanta Community Press Collective, thanks so much for joining us today on the Independent News Hour, and we look forward to keeping up with you. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you all later. All right. We are going to go to a uh, music break, and we'll be right back with more. They lifted their hands into the air Like trees reaching from the forest Like a prayer Grateful for the world's abundance They lifted their hands to comply To the shouts of agents Violence tries to erase those who care Now they rise the Stop Cop City Choir, whose music you can listen to on the great website, bandcamp.com. You are listening to the Independent News Hour. I am Ambigir Garian, your co-host here with John Tarleton, uh, broadcasting from WBAI 99.5 FM, the only fully independent station and news station on the New York spectrum on the New York dial, which means that we are the only station uh, whose views are not potentially affected by private interests. And, uh, you know, studies show, science shows that when private interest is involved in news media, it does affect uh, what the outlets come out with. So I think uh, that's really important. And I'm really grateful to be here on the station 
um, and involved in independent media in New York City because it matters so much to keep alive powerful movements, to keep uh, movement actors connected, but also just to inform everyday people about the sort of issues that matter to them. Um, so the way that independent media seem, tends to keep itself running is by individual donors. And uh, that's well, why what's that number of people should call to so pitch in. We have to uh, give um, what we can and you can do so by calling 212-209-2950 or go online to give number two WBAI.org. That's right. It's 212-209-2950 or you can pull out the plastic and go to uh, give number two WBAI.org. Uh, we especially encourage people to become uh, WBAI buddies. You can become a W a BAI buddy for as little as $10 a month. Uh, obviously you can uh, give more 15, 20, $25 a month and you help keep this station going. It's been broadcasting for 63 years. This is a community that has sustained this station. Uh, we can't lose it now. I mean, the station has to pay rent at four times square uh, every month for the transmitter and the antenna. And there's obviously other expenses as well. And we've done it for 63 years. There's no point in uh, stopping now. You can call 212-209-2950. You help keep shows like the Independent News Hour on the air and so much other great uh, news and cultural programming and music shows through the night. Um, you know, Amba, I know you listen to the station all the time when you're driving around the city. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't know what I would be listening to. Um, otherwise, it's really great to have programming laid out for you. I mean, podcasts are great, but I think not only is there something integral uh, about uh, being able to just tune into the radio from anywhere, but that, that, that there's programmers, you know, putting the whole scene together. So you can call 212-209-2950 to support that. And again, the phone number is 212-209-2950 and donate. And especially if you donate as a monthly buddy, do it in the name of the independent news hour. Um, uh, and you can also do that online at give the number two WBAI.org. Again, that's give the number two WBAI.org. That's right. And, and I was uh, mentioning earlier that we have a beautiful new issue of the independent coming out uh, tomorrow. Um, we'll be distributing it around the city in our news boxes, public libraries, uh, cafes, bookstores, et cetera. Uh, but many people prefer the convenience of just having the paper delivered straight to their mailbox every issue. Uh, sometimes it can be a little bit of a hassle to go out and uh, find that news box that has the paper. We, and we don't reach every corner of the city, so there's some places where it's definitely more convenient. And um, also, obviously, if you live outside of New York City, it's the uh, – obviously the easiest way to get the paper. Uh, so uh, we're offering uh, an annual subscription to the independent as an additional uh, premium. If you become a, a WBAI buddy, you already get all sorts of amazing uh, benefits uh, when you become a WBAI buddy for as little as $10 a month. Um, but we want you to, you know, we want you to sign up and uh, be happy uh, you know, for you to have a subscription to the paper as well. You'd also get a WBAI tote bag. So you can carry your indie around in your tote bag with other important items, but you got to call 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950, or go to give number two 
WBI.org. The most important thing is keeping this, um, keeping this station, uh, on the air, but we want you to enjoy, you know, all the, all the other benefits of becoming a WBAI buddy, uh, as well. Um, um, we're, we're still waiting for our second guest to join us, but, uh, um, Amba, uh, you know, we, uh, obviously, uh, have to work a lot to keep the independent going, uh, every month. And, uh, and we say, see the same sort of, uh, dedication here at WBAI. Yeah, absolutely. We do. It's a similar situation with a small staff that, um, you know, works uh, really hard <laughs> to keep the content coming. And um, unfortunately, I think that's something that uh, left news um, and, and left an independent media and just left us in independent uh, organizations um, and entities in general in the country face. It's like constant lack of funds and overwork, which is something that is um important to, uh, you know, note that we're experiencing collectively, um, kind of collective overwork and, and think about how to, um, how to make that easier, you know, still have fun party, you know, get together neighborhood, your organization, your station, your paper, whatever it is, see people in real life. You know, a lot of us are working hard alone from home now when we're not in the field and, you know, that's weird. So I think it's important to keep connection um and also continue to support us so you can support us simultaneously you know by by uh, signing up for that premium becoming a wbai buddy um for as little as 10 bucks a month uh or much more if you can afford it if you have any expendable income i think it's a really good place to spend it is on keeping independent media local media alive uh you can do so um uh sign up for the the premium as a body uh by calling 212-209-2950 again that's 212-209-2950 or go online to give the number 2 wbai.org that's give the number 2 wbai.org to keep the lights on and uh none of us are getting rich off of any of this in case anybody was you know wondering that um uh, you know, I think we all, uh, know how to be sparse and, um, and yeah, that's the reality of, of working in, in, in sort of the, um, I don't know if you, you would call this the opposition, but you know, resistance, the resistance, the, that's the reality the, of it. <laughs> I think that one may have been uh, trademarked uh, by the MSNBC liberals a long time ago, but, um, <laughs> um, nonetheless, here we are. Um, uh, here we are. So we're, but we're still- yeah, we're still waiting. Uh, we're still waiting for, uh, Bronco, uh, Mark, Mark teach, uh, to join us. We're definitely looking f- uh, forward to, uh, talking to him about, uh, I thought this really uh, fascinating article he wrote about AOC, uh, and the squad and the impact they've had and really how people uh, maybe can kind of have a more, you know, realistic assessment of what elected officials uh, uh, can achieve and, and and what the the limitations are. Uh, you know, I think there's a a tendency, uh, especially among progressives and uh, other people on the left, uh, to uh, you know just assume like 
that they're being sold out. <laughs> it, you know, but obviously the, you know, when you have elected officials in office, there's a lot of different cross currents, uh, they're navigating and, uh, you know, it, it's important to, to pressure them and to demand they do better. But I think sometimes the idea, you know, that, you know, if every, if you don't get everything from them, that it, their being in office is a failure. I think it, it can be kind of a, a, a cynicism that people sort of wear as a shield because they don't want to be disappointed. Cause obviously, you know, we've seen a lot of people disappoint us over the years. Um, um, uh, so, you know, the, the, the reflex is understandable. Uh, Bronco's, Bronco's article I thought was really uh, helpful. Um, but right now we don't have uh, him with us. Um, uh, Reggie, I mean, if we have any listeners that are calling in, we welcome that. That number is, uh, 212-209-2877. Again, the number for listener call-ins is 212-209-2877. And, uh, you know, while we're talking here, um, uh, you know, I, I was mentioning, you know, the new issue of the independent, uh, that comes out tomorrow. I mean, it's loaded with really, I thought really fascinating articles. Uh, one article we had, you know, we talked about the issue of crime and how that's dominated a lot of discussions in recent years and, uh, you know, inspired, uh, elites in places like Atlanta to want to build these, uh, giant, uh, you know, police training facilities or use crime as a pretext for, uh, further militarizing the police. And we have an article in this issue. Uh, in-depth article, uh, by Lydia Way, uh, who interned with us this summer and did a fantastic job about uh, a couple of groups, uh, that are, uh, have trained, uh, violence interrupters, people with a deep history in, in neighborhoods that have issues with violent crime. And, and they're on the streets, on social media, really, uh, you know, on the pulse of their communities and, and helping uh, defuse, uh, strife, uh, before it gets out of hand and, and leads to crime. Of course, the police can show up afterwards and try to arrest somebody and take them off to jail and all the rest. But what if you can stop crime before it starts? And, and that article really looks at how, uh, these organizations, one of them's, uh, man up, um, out in, uh, uh, in, uh, Canarsie. And the uh, other is New elite York. learners. Another that was profiled. Yeah. It's really fascinating. Uh, Lydia had a chance to really uh, talk with a lot of people doing this work and, and, and the violence interrupters are often uh, people who themselves were incarcerated at one point in their lives who had uh, a time when they were younger, when they, uh, you know, got in trouble and they came out and determined to make a, a positive contribution uh, to their communities when they returned. And anyway, I, I just found it fascinating because, you know, certainly the, you know, the default in our society is to be like, well, what else do we have besides the police? And these people aren't replacing the police at this point, but they're certainly showing that there's more than a uh, one way to approach the issue of violent crime, which, well, and that it's easier to stop it before it starts. Yeah. Best of all. And from, with, you know, from, from, you know, trusted sort of real community members. Right. But yeah, even Brooklyn district attorney, Eric Gonzalez, um, credits, uh, work with community based organization like elite learners and man up in helping reverse, um, the spike of gun violence, um, 
at the height of uh, COVID, you know, during the height of the COVID uh, pandemic. And according to the DA's office, homicides actually did decline in Brooklyn between 2021 and 2022. And so did shootings. And additionally, East Flatbush was highlighted as one of those most notable, notable neighborhoods. And that's where a lot of this work is centered. And so, you know, we can't draw a direct conclusion necessarily, but it's important to notice these things and notice that, you know, um, not only are there ways other than the police, um, to approach crime, but uh, better than the police as, as they are to approach crime. Uh, right. That aren't Absolutely. Armed. And if, if there's people that want to join the, this conversation or have anything else they want to share with us, uh, our, our listener call-in number is uh, 212-209-2877. Uh, again, 212-209-2877. Join the uh, join the conversation here on WBAI 99.5 FM, uh, your community radio station here in New York City. Um, so I don't know if I want to give away too much more of this uh, wonderful article by Lydia, but it, uh, it's definitely worth reading. One more reason to get your hands on the new issue of The Independent. One more reason to sign up and become a WBAI buddy. For as little as $10 a month, you get all your buddy benefits, and you also get uh, a a year subscription to the independent and a beloved WBAI tote bag. You know, a couple more uh, articles we have in, in this upcoming issue. Um, uh, a, a second article by Lydia that uh, she put a lot of work into uh, about subway buskers and the, their music and, uh, and and their, you know, struggles and, and how they make a life. And that's actually our cover story with some beautiful photography by uh, Laura Jane Brett. Um, but we have, uh, someone um, who's called in who I think can uh, uh, join us. So let's uh, let's go to them. Uh, listener, are you there? Yes, I am. First, I want to tell you how much I appreciate your newspaper. That's the first thing I want to say to you. And then the second thing I'd like to say, pertaining to the story that you covered on Cop City. Speak up, please. Um, are you able to hear me now? A little bit better. You you said you, that you like the paper and you have a question pertaining to the article on Cop City. But yes, if you could speak up, please. Yeah, I, I greatly appreciate the, the uh, paper that you guys issued. That's the first thing, as I was saying before. And the Cop City situation, I think that the listeners, that we as listeners in the public have to keep in mind that we're really talking about our right to dissent and our right for our freedom of speech is being greatly threatened and compromised. And uh, I will send a little donation to the uh, Atlantic group that's trying to bail out people. But uh, we have to be very, very conscientious about what's going on. And I'd like to see more coverage about what's happening around the country pertaining to freedom of speech and our right to dissent. Because it looks like they're really trying to drag it, take it away from us quick, fast, and hurry if we don't keep our eyes open and be vigilant. Right. Again, thank you for your, your newspaper and your efforts. Well, thank you so much, caller. And um, that's true. We have to watch out for our, our right to dissent. Uh, thank you for your comments. We have another caller on the line. Caller, are you there? And, and can you please uh, give us your, your name and where you're calling from, too? Antonia from Riverdale. we got Tony from Riverdale? Antonio. Antonio. Hello, Antonio. All right. Hi. Uh <laughs> I was at the march, but near the back end, I just wanted to see how it was going to pan out, and um, and then I left 
but it was uh, it was nice to see a lot of people come out for something. How um, is some of the attention being given to taking action like not use plastic bags, don't buy gas from Chevron, no, things like this. So how about, you see, because I'm very concerned that this activism is going to be used to take life's conveniences or I'm not talking about using polluting things. I'm talking about convenience in life, in modern life, um, families and, and just getting through the world, you know, like things. Uh, they Things could be made a lot healthier or a lot biodegradable. Um, is there some attention in the environmental mu- movement being done to do a campaign to stop using these things because you're going to the very people that you want to please and you're telling them we want you to give us this why don't we just stop partaking in it you know that that people can't seem to control themselves i guess i i, I don't see that well, happening i, get I think it's hard to listen, stop partaking when the exxon valdez thing happened and now chevron i don't drive right now well, I will never buy gas from these places, and I could tell you I never bought gas from Exxon since, even in an emergency. So I could speak for myself, but I don't see this happening out there. I just see a lot of complaining, but people are not practically getting really strict, sending it home. I just see some just the stuff in the streets. Okay, what are your thoughts? Well, I think people would argue that, some might argue that, you know, these individual actions, um, it takes a lot more time and energy to convince a lot of individuals to opt out of a certain brand or a certain aspect of capitalism or of, um, you know, uh, degrading the earth. You know, I consider it, you know, an aspect of, you know, uh, the climate aspect of capitalism. And, uh and it's easier to have massive movements that attack policy overall. That's a better use of our energy and that's collective action rather than individual action because we've tried. I mean, 20 years ago, it was very popular to try and get people to recycle and to take these individual actions. And it still is. Um, and I encourage people to take those. But, it, you know, studies do show that, for example, 90 to 95 percent of plastics in New York City don't even get recycled. So when we're dealing with a broken sister, broken system, I think it's some might argue it's uh, better to attack from from uh, it's, a, it's structural the the the, the real solutions will ultimately be structural we can all do the moral and correct thing in our individual lives but the real challenge is uh, i think antonio is structural change i believe we have one more caller on the hold that we want to make sure and get to our time is winding down uh listener are you there if you are can you give us your name and where you're calling from Hello? That's you. Hello? Just uh, be as loud as you can. It's a little hard to hear. Hello. That's you, hello? sir. Go on. Please talk. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. What's yeah. on your mind? If you want to share your name, that would be great, too. Uh, uh, George Jeter. What's on your mind, George? Uh the the uh, the program I want to know just when this program that was on this afternoon uh, that uh, 
talking about the uh, IMF and uh, and that there. And I, I just want to know when you're when they they play these programs back. You can check. Uh, I'm not sure when they're going to play it back, but you can check online at wbai.org or have someone check for you at wbai.org into our archive. Okay. Yeah, all, all of the WBAI shows are archived uh, on the WBAI.org website. Um, uh, we also archive all of the independent news hour uh, shows on our uh, independent SoundCloud page. So if you ever want to listen to old uh, editions of the show, you can also go to independent SoundCloud. Before we sign off uh, here in a minute, Amba, just want to note that it was five years ago this week that uh, the Independent uh, started uh, broadcasting on uh, WBAI. We started out as a half-hour um, edition of the WBAI Evening News on Mondays and switched to Tuesday, Tuesdays uh, 5 to 6 uh, a couple of years ago. It's been a great uh, ride. Uh, it's always uh, great being here uh, with you. And I want to thank our uh, board operator today, uh, uh, Reggie Johnson. And uh, we have to uh, uh, go now. But uh, what's our uh, our final song for today? Well, you know, um, as long as Reggie's with me, I've had a change of heart. We were going to listen to Smog and Cities by Black Moth Super Rainbow. But regarding the second to last caller's comments about um, just people being in the streets, um, you know, I think AOC has something to say about that. She spoke at the climate march. So let's go to that clip. This was from Sunday in New York City. It means something when people say, oh, we're thinking five, ten thousand dollars, ten thousand people are going to be here and 50, 70,000 people show up. That means something because we are in rooms and I'm in rooms in Washington all the time where people say that they have a commitment to this issue, but we need urgency on this issue. Super Rainbow. Thank you, everybody, and see you next week.